what we're going to talk about is uh, how do we get started? When I was talking to Melvin and his team about what do y'all what do y'all need in the workshops? One of the things we came up with was this idea of all right. So I'm called to be in a, a teacher in a class, or I'm called to lead a small group, or you know, fill in the blank. I'm, I'm starting a one-on-one -on -one or a one-on-three, whatever you're thinking about. So how do I sort of approach this? How to go into it? Some of this you're, you're going to know. In fact, I'm thankful Les is here because Les has had this information since he was trained at RUF. So, uh, so if any, if you got any really difficult questions, Les is the one to talk to. Uh, and I've also, I think Les has taught this too. I talked to him about it last night. Where do I start? And um, a couple of years ago, when I was I joined Georgia Foothills Presbytery, we were talking about, okay, what do we need to do? We're talking about church planting. Of course, I was approaching it from the perspective of discipleship ministries in the PCA. And what we're facing in the denomination, we're actually one of the few denominations that's growing right now, but our growth is like, 1% or less. And we are seeing more and more, as I hear from people, uh, just the biblical literacy is not there. And yet what we're finding is people are coming to the PCA, uh, whether it be for our resources or in many cases our churches, because they say they stand on scripture, at least they believe in something. <laughs> And so, so you've got these people coming, and I would, I, of course, we're not going to go around and talk about, you know, tell me the makeup of your group, but that's what we're going to think about right now. So when I was there, I talked to Hal Farnsworth. He planted Redeemer Church in Athens, so Athens, Georgia, UGA. I'm an Auburn fan, so I put up with it. Um, thank you for putting up with me. So, um, but how was RUF at Mississippi State? Don't hold that against him. Uh, church planner in Athens, and I asked him, I said, because he had done a presentation about how he planted the church and how he was doing evangelism, and I said, how do you do it? And he says, I just use what I learned from Mark Lowry in RUF training. I said, well, tell me more. And he says, ask questions, because people are experts at talking about themselves. And one of the things we struggle with when we are leading a discipleship ministry, or especially if we're teaching or we're leading a Bible study, the tendency is we ask what I call needle-in-a-haystack questions, where you throw the question out there, and the person, this is just human nature, they want to get the right answer. And so they're slow to respond. But if you can ask the question in a way that is maybe, say, give your opinion or give an application or show how this, is, this truth that you just talked about, how do you see it play out, then they're more likely to tell you and respond to your question. We see this when we get books. People will send us books at CDM and say, hey, I want you to publish my book. And every author thinks their book is God's gift to the church, right? <clears throat> and so we, fortunately, it's not just me. We have a publications coordinator who goes through it. And then, but 
we have to look at the questions. Are the questions one that help people discuss? Now, one of the things Hal went on to say is two things you need to know as you're talking to what is, where does this person stand in relationship to Jesus? And where does this person stand in a relationship to his people, the body of Christ? And people fall in one of four areas. Where they are determines how you talk to and interact with them. And so after Hal taught me or talked to me about that, then I had a meeting with Mark Lowry because he was a source. And I said, Mark, tell me. And Mark did a great job presenting it. Unless you're, you're smiling, you probably had a similar conversation with Mark. And, but that's how he, he presented this. Here's another table, all right? You seen this before? <laughs> I think John, Stock, or John uh, Stone had put this together. But, um, but here it is. You've got four quadrants. So people fall in one of four areas. You think about their relationship to the church, don't know anything about the church, don't have any connection with it, to, yeah, they're in the church, they're dealing with it, or their relationship with Christ. Don't know Christ, embrace Christ. And so you've got people in different quadrants, and so here are your churched Christians. They know Jesus, they love his church, they serve his church, but people are going to be in different areas. That's one type of discipleship that you're going to, that's going to determine how you talk. This group of people, you can probably use tribal language, <laughs> talking about things that we always talk about. Uh, down here, you've got church people who don't know Jesus. And our churches are full of them. <laughs> Especially, here's the amazing thing, in our culture today, in our culture today, some people are so attracted to the community because we live in such a lonely culture that I think we're going to see more and more people coming here. Now, what we also observe, again, we're a upper middle class, upper middle class, most PCA churches, especially you talk to uh, student ministry people, you can probably imagine what the big idol is, what the big challenge is for youth ministry. It's sports. And school. Because what's happened in our culture is the community that for years and years and years was found in the church is now found in school and in sports, particularly club sports. However, with the, the division that's occurring in our culture, then now it's become, especially in sports, where uh, I don't think it's probably as bad in Mississippi as it is in other places in the country, where, you know, is this, is this, man who's a girl going to be on my you know, girl's team and all of that. that. All of that's happening and people are starting to say, I don't know if we can operate in this environment anymore. And so what we might find is more and more people coming for the community in the church. But then, of course, the key thing is where's their relationship with Jesus? And so you might have people over here. This is the one where we ordinarily focus on evangelism. Non-church, non-Christians. And this is where 
you know, we do our, if you do more confrontational evangelism for spiritual laws or the bridge or something like that, that's where you're going out. That's true, but all of us need to know the gospel. Even these people over here need to, how do I live by the gospel? Because the enemy's going to keep trying to pull them away from the gospel. The church non-Christians is, they know some of the lingo, but they don't know the person that the lingo points to. And so you've got to, how do you deal with that? And then over here are people ordinarily who are burned by church. The church I attend in Atlanta right now, <clears throat> we've seen a growth of people coming to the church. And most of them are people who have been burned by the church. So what happens with these people? You talk to them about membership, and they're like, whoa, get away from me. Why? Because they're afraid they're going to be burned. But is church membership a valuable thing? Absolutely. But how you talk to them is going to be affected. So here's the question. How do you begin to get at these issues? We're going to circle back around to that question at the end. Here's another way. Uh, I think that's Vault Hemingway Stadium, right? Might be an old one. Sorry, it's so blurry. It's the only one I could find. Another, our men's team, they looked at it like this as we're talking about men's ministry. Some people you got, they're sitting in their car out in the parking lot. <laughs> and they, they think they know something's going on, but they really, they're not wanting to commit. And then you've got these other people who are sort of walking around maybe trying to get tickets to get in, maybe just sort of wanting to be a part of you know, their tailgating, whatever the case may be. Then you got people who are in the stands who are sort of watching it, and then you got people who are playing on the field. And so different people <coughs> are in their relationship not only to actual activity, playing on the field, but then you also have people who are part of the institution of what's happening. And so that's how whatever image works for you, the grid or the football stadium, use whatever works best. But the idea is when you are leading in a discipleship ministry, diagnose your people. Where are they with Jesus? Where are they with his body? Again, you have these different avenues, and you're, you're wanting to bring in a mixture of word and relationship and how you're going to do it. I mean, when Les is preaching, he's not going to have much of an opportunity to ask questions. So what, what does he bring into the preaching? He's gone through the week. He's talked to people. He has one-on-ones. If you're a leader in the church, whether you're an elder, deacon, Bible study leader, women's leader, whatever the case may be, you are a valuable resource to your pastor. Helping him know where people are in the life of the church. Now, don't go to him and say, Les, I think you need to preach on this. Just give him, give him a picture of the lay of the land. Let the Holy Spirit use that input for him to shape his preaching. Now, but then when you're in charge of small groups Bible study, Begin to ask questions about where people... Tell me about your life with Christ. Tell me what you know about Christ. Tell me your church background. 
Sometimes, and people, especially if they've been burned by the church, they might be reluctant if they see you as a churchy person. But you've got to, you've got to listen to their comments and say, are, are they, there's a little edge to that comment? And you want to explore where the edge is. And so those are the things you've got to think about as you're engaging people. Now, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is there are two discipleship prayers in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 and this one in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is at the end, the doctrinal section of Ephesians. Just about He's just about to go into the, the application portion of Ephesians 4 through 6. And so he closes this section with a prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I encourage you, if you are a leader, to pray this prayer for your people. That this is what they may experience. You've got good biblical warrant. (laughs) Paul prayed it for the Ephesians. Pray it for your people. Now let's break it down. What What does it say? What are God's people asking for? Who will be working? What is the end result? What are we asking for? Verse 16, they'll be strengthened with power in their inner being. We were talking last night at dinner just about how we think of, especially in the PCA, is very cognitive. In fact, we talked about Romans 12, the renewal of your mind. And Les was bringing up the point about how the heart is really involved here, and this is what Paul is getting. Be strengthened with your pow- with power in your inner being, your inner heart, because everything else flows out of that. You want to add anything to that, Les? I mean, you, I mean, you, you were very articulate last night. So. Um, and then Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And remembering the heart here is this idea of not just... Uh, it's not just, it's everything, your mind, your will, your emotions, everything is round, bound up in the heart, and his life becomes your life. This is what Paul talks about in Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So his life becomes our life. But then rooted and grounded in love, and I like how Paul uses two different images. He uses an agricultural image of being rooted like a tree is rooted and grounded. It's an architectural image. It's a a foundation for a building. And so the idea is love feeds, like roots feed a tree, Love feeds and is also the foundation. Now that's love. It's multiple types of love. Then this is agape love is here, the self-giving love. It's not what our culture celebrates, eros. 
It's not even phileo, which is the brotherly friendship love. This is self-giving, sacrificial love. What are we grounded in? God's love for us, our love for God, and then the love that God gives us for other people. Or maybe it would even be better to say the love that God goes through us to other people. Think about that difficult person in your group. <laughs> That's a very good point. How would... <laughs> I wasn't expecting that question. I'm going to have to pray about that. So, <laughs> all right. So who will be working? The Trinity. Yeah, it's great in this passage. You've got the Trinity Father is the primary audience. He's sharing his glory with his creation. He's just, for those in Christ, the Son is the Redeemer who enables dead people to live again. Ephesians 2, remember, this is the background. You are dead in your sins and trespasses. God made you alive in Christ, and now he dwells within you. And then the Spirit is the one that strengthens your inner being. His, the purpose of the Spirit is to glorify the Son, and that's what he's doing in you. What's the end result? You know the unknowable. To know the love of God, which surpasses knowledge. Um, how, how do you know how much he loves you? How do you know how much he loves this fallen world? This is something that I struggle with when I watch the news. How can God love this world? But John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so to know the unknowable, <coughs> to know the love of God, and then to be filled with all the fullness of God, and this is, has to do with, it's both um, an equipping idea of being filled with the fullness of God, that the power of God is at work within you, but it also has a moral edge to it that you remember last night when we saw on the cross chart as you keep your eyes on Christ and the cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you grow in Christ's likeness. And First Peter talks about how we will know the nature of God, what he's talking about. It's a moral nature that the righteousness that is found perfectly in Jesus Christ is built in us. We won't know it perfectly. I mean, we're not, we don't embrace the holiness theology, but we do believe we will grow in holiness until one day we are made even like Christ in our glorified bodies. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what his desire is for you. And see, as you're leading your discipleship group or you're in this discipleship relationship, your goal is that they know the love of God and it's through knowing the love of God that they grow more and more into the character of God and are able to live and deal with life. So let's keep going. What do we need to teach? I've seen Les teach on this, so I know, <coughs> I know he could teach this. So Les, you just jump in whenever you want to add, okay? Um, first of all, we teach justification. We're dealing with a person's shame. Well, 
What is justification? Well, I'm a shorter catechism type guy. Justification is an act of God's free grace. So God is doing the act. God is the one initiating and bringing about. And it's His free grace. You don't do anything for it. Christ has done it all. Well, what does God do? He pardons our sins, accepts us as righteous in His sight. But it's not anything we did. It's the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So faith is the means by which God does all of this. Pardons our sins, accepts us as righteous. Pardons our sins, accepts us as righteous. Pardons our sins. What we did yesterday, what we did today, what we will do later. Pardons our sins and accepts us as righteous. We live in a culture, and it's both inside and outside the church, loves to deal with shame. They love to dish it out. This is what council culture is all about. Let's find out who the bad guys are. Make them think they're bad guys. <clears throat> I don't care whether you watch Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, whatever the case may be. Both sides are dishing out shame. And the only solution to shame is the only God has provided. Pardons our sins and accepts us as righteous. Well, what do we try to do? And what, do you, what are the people that you are discipling? What are they trying to do? Well, they're, they try to inflate themselves and rationalize their actions. You, you know that, that little graph where we have the, the line going up and the line going down? What we try to do is chop off the line. God's holy, but yeah, I can't stand Him being that holy. Uh, yet we're... What I'm doing, he doesn't like it, so I'm going to make it, he's, he'll, he'll let this go. Or, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as other people, and so I'm, we're flattening the line. And I talked to a pastor not too long ago. He had an elder who, elders in his second marriage, and his second marriage is falling apart. So he came to the pastor and said, um, Came to, here's another thing, don't ever do. Don't ever come up to Les 10 minutes before the worship service and tell him you're getting a divorce. Just, just don't do that, all right? That's not nice. <laughs> but that's what this elder did to this pastor. And here was this thing. And I don't want you to tell anybody, even on the session, just between the, the two of us, and I'm an elder, so I know that, Rules are a little different for us, and so I've decided it doesn't disqualify me from serving as an elder. <laughs> what was this guy struggling with? Shame. Now, was it, was there guilt? Probably. 
But at that moment, he wasn't able to really look at him. He wasn't believing the gospel. He wasn't believing that God really pardons your sins. And so what was he trying to do? I'm going to rationalize my actions. And brothers and sisters, we got people all in our churches that this is how we deal with it. We deal with it this way. And we lower the standard for what is righteous so that we can step over it. All of us do this. The solution is how do we help people understand the justification that we are pardoned and accepted as righteous. But it's not our righteousness. It's a righteousness by God's grace that's given to us. It's imputed to us. Credit that belongs to Jesus is made to our account. That's what justification is. Well, what's the next? Adoption. Dealing with a person's identity. <clears throat> All right, so we're in the SEC. At the hotel today, there were a bunch of people with Ole Miss stuff on. I see you got some back there. What is that, Ole Miss rifle? Okay, is that sports or shooting? What, what are we doing? Uh, uh, and that's a good thing? Okay, all right. So it's not like Ole Miss believes in the Second Amendment or anything like that. What? Oh, okay, it's Ole Miss sports thing. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm an Air Force guy, so that's fine with me. All right, so dealing with a person's identity. But so much we do, we get into our tribes. What is adoption? Again, it's an act of God's free grace. We're received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. All the privileges. Everything that Jesus has. All the power that he can tap into. All the goodness that the Father has given to the Son is given to you when you, you are united with Christ through faith. Everything. Well, how does that play out? Our culture suffers from loneliness and tribalism. What is our identity? And you'll have people, you know, where you have the people who are church, but they're unbelievers. Their identity could be, I'm a member of Christ's press. And so how do you address that? Yeah, it's great to be a member of Christ's press. It's great to be a tender of Christ's press if you haven't joined. But that's not the... It, What's, what makes you a member of Christ's presence is you know Jesus and you, your identity is in Him. This is the whole, the sexuality. We, we were talking last night about social media, uh, how, how many likes do I have and all that. So, and we're even talking today, in today's culture, what's happening now is research on social media is coming out. People are beginning to see this is empty. I can't really find any good identity in it. But what happens is we do seek the idols of belonging. And this is especially true when you're dealing in, in a culture of um, materialism. I have the right, fill in the blank, I have the right political views. Uh, I vote for the right person. Uh, I have the right material goods. I have the right car. I have the right job. I, and so we, our identity gets wrapped up in that. Or another thing that's happened probably since the mid, like 2015, 2016, 
is I matter because I'm a victim. Just listen discerningly to the news. And people will talk about how you've got to support me because I'm a victim. I even heard it today with regard to Trump and the decision that was made for him yesterday by the judge. And how they're going to leverage that <coughs> to play on the people in the, in the country who say, Trump's a victim, I don't want to be a victim like him, so I'm going to vote for him. That's, a, that's going to be a political plan. Now, whether you like Trump or not is irrelevant, but what I want you to hear is there is their identity issues of people say, I belong, I matter, I want you to support me because I'm a victim. It's an identity issue. And so how do you address that in a discipleship relationship? And then sanctification, dealing with a person's lifestyle. Now here, sanctification, it's a little bit different. It's not an act of God's grace. It's a work of God's grace. Still, God is working. God is the primary actor. But we participate. And this is called, uh, here, here's some big theological terms, all right? Definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification, all right? Stay with me. What definitive sanctification is, is when you are united with Christ in faith, and you say, I believe in Jesus. He saved me. The Holy Spirit unites you. And so when God looks on you, you are as holy as Jesus is. So that when you pray, God sees Jesus. And the Holy Spirit presents it, makes the, the prayer perfect. That's definitive sanctification. <clears throat> Progressive sanctification is where God, when you come to Christ, you remember how the cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and you grow in Christ-likeness and your heart for God and your heart for others gets bigger and bigger and bigger? That's progressive sanctification. And that's where you put off the old man that's still struggling with sin and you put on the identity of Christ and His character. And that's what you're trying to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. <clears throat> so a Christian cannot say, this is who I am, you've got to accept me. Um, all right, so one of my besetting sins is outbursts of anger. I can't go to my wife and say, honey, yeah, I get mad, I, yeah, it's, I, I, I get frustrated, but you just got to accept me like that. No. <laughs> No, because Jesus has made me different. Yes, my father, that was the model I saw in my father. But I'm not a victim. I'm a believer. I, 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 and so God is building within me. And so as we deal with people, we're helping them put off the arm. What we find in our culture, just watch Disney Plus. You'll see this all the time. Follow your heart or Hallmark Channel. All right? Hallmark Channel is all of follow your heart. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, maybe I'm showing a little bit of outbursts of anger what I have to watch over the holiday season with my... What do you want to watch, honey? And my daughter, too. Uh, what do you watch a little... Uh, okay, Paul Mark, I love you. <laughs> uh, follow your heart. Um, that is the American dream. And, and really, it's almost the autonomy. I want the ability and the freedom to do whatever I want to do. As long as I don't, as long as I think it's right, and as long as I think I'm not hurting anybody. Talked to a man one time, and we were talking about pornography. He says, you know, I don't, pornography's not wrong. Because um, I only go to the websites where the women sort of volunteer. So I think there's a, I, I don't go to this OnlyFans or something like that is supposed to be. And he just had not dealt with the idea of the objectification of a, pornography objectifies the human body. And, and so he was rationalizing, but he, his mentality is, I feel like I need to do, or want to do this. I'm not hurting anybody. I don't think I'm hurting anybody, so it's okay. And that's how he was, he was rationalizing it. But then moralism permeates Christian culture. Books, schools, preaching. We have to deal with this often in our children's ministry. Uh, as we talk to churches and uh, we, we come to elders and say, do you even know what curriculum your children's ministry is using? And some of them, they'll use, they'll mention it. There's one, um, it's called Orange, or, well, they've changed the name now, but it's, it's got great uh, stuff in the sense of combining church and home and all that. It's got great practical things, but the content is moralism. If you use some VBS materials, it's moralism plus not really Bible. <laughs> Moralism basically is saying God likes you because of what you do. God listens to your prayers because you're being a good person. And all of us struggle with this, right? You know you've had a bad day. You know you've, you haven't really put on Christ very well. And you say, God, please really listen. <laughs> I really want you to do this. And it's like God says, well... I'm not answering this prayer because you're so great. <laughs> I'm answering this prayer because Jesus is so great. But moralism, and, and we use it because we want to manipulate people. We want, especially in parenting, it's behavior modification. Remember we talked about last night, moral, well-educated, well-rounded, successful. That's moralism. And so that's what we're... It permeates Christian culture, and you've got to watch it. If you're a leader choosing curriculum, you've got to look at it. Now, you might be able to use it, but you might be able to show, hey, take this and let's look at this, this great advice, but let's put it in the context of the gospel, that God doesn't accept you because you do these great things, but God accepts you because of Jesus, and because Jesus did great things, he's now building those great things in you, Increasing your holiness, which is the sanctification, progressive sanctification. Good question. Thank you for asking that. Uh, other comments, questions on those three things? 
Because what we're going to do now, in just a few minutes, <laughs> is at your tables, how does your message change? All right, so we're going to do these two tables. You're going to pretend like you're doing the discipleship in this quadrant. These two tables, you're going to be in this quadrant. These two tables, you're going to do this quadrant, and those tables over there, this quadrant. You don't have to all back it, just at your table. So you guys are going to talk about your, your discipleship group. You've got a lot of church Christians. All right, what do you, what do you got, Errol? I was just going to ask you to read those. All right, so this one, your group is people who believe in Jesus and they're active in church. Well, what you talked about last night, they're engaged, they're, you're seeing, the lights are coming on. So let's go with, how are you going to teach that Ephesians 3 passage in this case? All right, so that's it. Now, you guys over here, you're church, but they're non-Christians. So how are you going to teach Ephesians 3 in that? Over here, they're, they're hate pagans. <laughs> so how are you going to do Ephesians 3 in there? You know, uh, not your pagans, they're pagans, and you're dealing with it. All right, so, and then up here, non-churched Christians. 